Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm Alex Burr, joined once again by my co-host Dylan Hughes. Dylan, you have an ex- for the curveball this week, you have an exciting new life update to share with the listeners. Why don't you go ahead and tell them what's going on with that? Yes, so my update is that I'm abandoning Alex and all the listeners, and I am becoming a tour manager for a blues band that probably no one's ever heard of. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of like a random thing that happened. It's been developing in the past few months and uh, I'm going to be going from sitting in the chair I'm sitting in right now for like eight hours a day to in, I calculated last night, 25 States in a hundred days. And that's going to start next week. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be quite a challenge and it's going to be interesting, but it'll be fun, I think. And I will, uh, I'm, tr- I'm gonna, hoping to stay as connected to the pod and basketball as possible. But there's uh, sadly, this is one of the concessions I'm having to make. So, I mean, first and foremost, Dylan, when I found out you were, you had this opportunity lined up and that you thought you were going to get it, I was very happy for you. I need to make that clear. However, I will hate you for the rest of my life. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm very happy for you, Dylan. And you're not going to be gone forever to make that clear. Like you'll still be back, but you're going to like this tour just is going to take up most of the regular season and playoffs. There'll be a couple like weeks off that the tour will have, but Generally speaking, Dylan won't be here for the majority of the rest of the season. I hope to have you back for the finals. That's, you know, hopefully something we can get done. But if not, you know, it's what like this is the thing. It's like this is going to be really flexible with Dylan now where if he can join, he can. And if he can't, he can't. That's just the fact of the matter. We did have an in-house replacement ready. We have close the closest thing to Dylan Hughes on this podcast network to replace him that of course is jd hall you know when i think of dylan hughes i think of jd hall like they're two very you know similar people to me and like i i'm kind of joking but i'm also kind of not like jd sensibilities fit really well his basketball sensibilities fit really well with this podcast um and dylan we've been doing this since july 2020 (laughs) i think in total like in terms of just amount of weeks we took off we took like maybe eight weeks off so I, you know, I'm going to miss you, bud. But I do want to say, like, at the top of the pod, I do want to say thank you for devoting so much of your time to this little podcast. It's been it's been a treat doing this with you. And I know we'll do more in the future, but I wanted to say that to you while you were still while you were still the co-host, technically. And J.D. will be taking over for you this week. So you don't have much longer uh, to have that distinction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been fun, man, like this we started this podcast network not too far into the pandemic when, you know, we were all hanging out at school all the time. And just like that spring break, we just didn't come back from spring break, you know, and we've only seen each other. I don't know, maybe four or five times since then in person, but this podcast network has been a really good way to stay connected to each other. And 
I mean, we we've been talking for like over two hours already before the pod even started. And, you know, these are I look forward to this every week because like we can listen. I don't get to talk to a lot of people that aren't my parents, you know, because I work from home. I don't really go out that much because I just have nothing to do. No reason to go out. And this is a good way to just talk stuff out. Uh, Obviously, talking basketball is always fun. And the time we did Divine Rhyme was really fun project as well. And all the other stuff we've uh, contributed to. So, listen, the the network will never die. And uh, people, people flicker in and out. And, you know, life gets crazy sometimes and we have to to kind of pick and choose what we do. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to try to stay as connected, like I said. And when the tour's over, I don't have to do anything. So, you know, I can come right in and wrap up uh, the end of the regular season and or the end of the, the whole season, the postseason. And uh, maybe even delve into a little free agency. So that that'll that'll be something to look forward to. It will be. And like I said, I really couldn't think of a better person to replace Dylan with than JD. Like he's as I'd say as degenerate as we are in terms of like obsession with the NBA. So I'll really look forward to talking about it with him. He and I are going to be recording on Sunday, so it'll be a very quick turnaround (laughs) from these two episodes. This will be coming out on Friday and the next one will be coming out on Monday. So that's going to be fast. You're also going to be hearing a lot more from Caleb Blinn with me. Um, and I'm changing the name from the, I, if you listen to the episode with Caleb, you'll notice I didn't say Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. I think the new name from now on officially will be the running hooks basketball power hour, because I think that was just, that's just the way to go about it. And I am really looking forward to the direction we can go with or without Dylan, you know, like if he can't, if he can't ever come back, that's okay. I'm not concerned about it. I feel like we did a lot in our time here. And I th- I love this idea that we came up with and that we had. We tinkered with it a lot. And, you know, I'm just, I'm really happy for you, Dylan. And I wanted to shout you out. And thank you so much for devoting so many hours to talking to me over the last year and a half. But we need to get on with the podcast. <laughs> it's a shame. Usually the curveballs, uh, like a segment where we give our Super Bowl takes, our, um, <laughs> you know, our Purdue takes, sadly, that will have to change. Maybe I can phone in Dylan every week real quick. Hey, Dylan, give us your Jaden Ivey takes, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, we do need to get on to the news, though. I don't think the SGA injury rises to the level of injury that we needed to discuss, but he will be out for a couple of weeks. It looks like past the All-Star break. And Dylan, I do think it's funny that we have the thunder like a couple of weeks ago. And now very quickly after that SGA goes down, are we a curse? (laughs) It's, it's possible, but you know, back to what I said before the pod, I, I don't think we should automatically just assume that there's no reason to be skeptical about this injury. Okay. The thunder have one good player. And listen, they haven't won. They haven't won many games. Okay, they have won sixteen games. That's sixteen too many for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I think SGA. I I don't know. Maybe this is uh, Sam Presti. Maybe uh, getting a little bit more involved than he needs to be. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's possible. 
I don't want to discount any pain and suffering that SGA is going through, but I do want to throw that possibility out there that there could be shenanigans. Just saying. Just asking question, folks. That's all. That's all Dylan's doing. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest injury that happened this week was probably Joe Ingles. He tore his ACL. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> it really sucks for Joe Ingles, especially since it looks like it's going to be the end of the Joe Ingles era in Utah. He's been there for eight years now. Like, it's crazy to think that, like, it's been eight years of Joe Ingles in Utah. But, Dylan, I mean, this injury hurts them. I feel like if they were going to trade him, I feel like he was a candidate to get traded anyway, but if they were going to trade him, this like significantly decreases his trade value now. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's kind of sucks that the Ingles era in Utah is going to end this way. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's become like a stalwart there. I mean, he's become like a pillar of the team that we know in Utah and he's, like I was talking about this pre-pod as well. Like he came into the league and he just wasn't that great. Like he kind of, he worked on his game a lot and became really important part of their team as, you know, a shooter and a passer and, and just kind of getting people in the right places. And he's just been one of the better glue guys in the league. And the jazz have struggled even before he got hurt. And without him, it's going to be tough. I mean, even with Ingles healthy, they needed a little bit of bench help. You know, Jordan Clarkson's not been very good this year. Rudy Gay has been good, but it just goes back to the problem they had last year where it's just kind of one or two reliable guys and then everyone else. And, you know, they're they're still dealing with that now. And the Ingles injury makes it a lot tougher for them to compete. And they're just sliding down the standings and – you know, Mitchell and Gobert being out obviously has more to do with that. But even when they come back, I mean, we just talked about the Jazz recently, and we're both – we both know exactly what's going to happen to them in the playoffs. And, you know, they've got to try to do something to improve, especially with Ingles out. But, you know, from a wider perspective, I mean, yeah, Ingles is probably gone, and it's sad. But it's – every era has an end, and – Hopefully he can go to a team that's maybe a little bit more competitive. And it's not like some other eras that might be ending, like the Dame Lillard era in um, Portland might be ending soon. The Washington, the Brad Beal era in Washington might be ending soon. So it's not like some of those, but still there's some guys that you just associate with a franchise. And I kind of just, I've basically, as long as I've been paying attention to the NBA at the level I have been, Joe Ingles has been a member of the jazz. So it's going to suck to see him in a different place. Um, one more injury I forgot about, but we have to talk about, I'd say is that Nas Little underwent surgery to repair the torn labrum in his left shoulder. He's going to miss the rest of the year. And we really like Nas Little, what we saw from him. And I'm not going to lie to him, it just sucks. And I feel like Portland, like they caught a little bit of steam there. Simons is on fire. And I think we talked about that like during Blazers week and it he hasn't stopped. But at some point, I think it's just they got to realize what they are and try to get a decent draft pick this year. Yeah, I mean, they're a disaster. Like, the basketball gods are just, they're saying, you need to stop trying to win. I mean, Dame, with the Dame thing, CJ McCollum, and now Little, and they've had some other injuries too. It's like, they just need to just take the pill. Just take the pill now. It's over. Like, this team 
has had its best days. They're behind them. You have some good free agents coming up that are definitely going to leave or, or at least they're likely to leave. Dame doesn't want to play there. Like just, just kind of start moving into this youth movement with Simons and little next year. And you know, your draft pick that's hopefully uh, moves up as the season goes on. Even though there's a lot of bad teams, it's, it's hard to compete with the, the losing of some of these teams, but they've got to do the best they can. Cause it's just, it's time to move on. Like it's been clear even before the season started that they needed to start tearing this up, but it's even more clear now. Yeah. And our good friends at basketball reference have them at the, I think the 13th easiest schedule remaining <laughs> in the West. So there's a chance they might play themselves out of like a top six pick. And into that like Washington range the last couple of years where they get the ninth pick and end up picking like who's a Patrick Baldwin Jr. He's been getting a lot of flack in these mock drafts recently. So I think there's a chance that they fall into that like dreaded, you know, seven to 12 range. But we'll, we'll see, you know, that seven to 12 range is still a pick they haven't had since they picked CJ McCollum. So, or well, they traded up for Zach Collins, but you get what I'm saying. So it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in. Um, Dylan. Our three teams for this week, your last three teams are the Charlotte Hornets, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Toronto Raptors. I figured there's no better place to start than the Hornets, unless you wanted to start with the Raptors. It's your choice. Hey, man, this is uh, I'm, I'm just here for the show. All right, let's let's talk about some Lamello. All right. So the Hornets are currently 28 and 24. Good for seven in the Western Conference. They are a game and a half out of the playoffs right now. And they are not doing great right now. <laughs> they, um, well, they're two and two this week. They beat the Pacers last Wednesday, 158 to 126. <laughs> Pacers are an abomination. And I'm, I know you're glad to not have to talk about them again this year. Um, the Lakers, they beat the Lakers 117 to 114. They then lost to the Clippers 115 to 90 and then lost to the Celtics 113 to 107. It's worth noting Gordon Hayward was in the HSPs during that time. But Dylan, um, two game losing streak can't leave a good taste in their mouth. And I think this team like that Lakers game. I'm, did you watch the Lakers game? Yeah. The Lakers game. I'm sure like the Hornets almost blew it to a Russell Westbrook and, you know, <laughs> like Taylor Horton Tucker, that Lakers team did not have any business being in that game. Dylan, I think the place to start with this Hornets team is the defense. Like, 23rd ranked defense right now on cleaning the glass and it kind of feels high <laughs> like this team just can't stop like anything from the paint and I know it's probably not the place to start but like as a like actual basketball team I just feel like this team's defense isn't good at all yeah I mean I'm not gonna act like Russell Westbrook sucks uh, he gets a ton of crap and it's deserved but He's, he's still a good player that you should pay attention to, but he just ate them alive. Like, especially kind of towards the end of that game. I mean, he was getting pretty easy buckets. And it's just odd because this, like, the individual defenders on this team are not bad. Maybe, maybe this is all Mason Plumley's fault. I'm definitely not counting that possibility out here. But like Rozier, Lamella Ball, you know, Martin, I still forget which one it is. So I'm just going to say Martin. It's Cody. <laughs> uh, Cody, yeah. 
Cody Martin, and then Bridges. It's like these guys, they all can be good defenders like in their own right. And P.J. Washington, I'll say, has been a little disappointing in the NBA as a defender. But everyone else, like those guys are not on the surface bad defenders. But yet when they're all out there together, it just doesn't really work. And the Celtics game last night, I think, was a good point of that, too. The only reason they were in that game was because LaMelo had 38. Like, LaMelo was awesome last night on offense, but Tatum and Brown, and, like, Tatum didn't actually, like, he was 6 of 16. Like, there was nothing impressive. But, I mean, he did have nine assists. Like, there was a lot of easy cuts made by the Celtics and a lot of easy transition buckets. Josh Richardson was 8 of 12, you know, just wide open threes and stuff like that. It's just kind of lackadaisical is how I would describe their defense. Like they don't seem to be paying much attention a lot of the times and guys are just kind of floating out on the perimeter or they're getting back cuts and stuff like that. So it's, it's troubling a little bit. And, you know, again, do you want to blame it on Plumlee? Do you want to blame it on the coaching? Cause if, if the entire team is not playing good defense, then you've got to blame the coaching, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a reasonable conclusion to draw. You brought up Russell Westbrook. You want to like a crazy stat? (laughs) Yes. This is his first time this calendar year scoring more than 25 points in a game. (laughs) Since 2020, since the new year came, he hasn't scored more than 20. I think the most he scored this year was 24. (laughs) So... And that was like a couple of days earlier against Miami. He Russ has had a down season even by his standards, and Russ just ate them alive. And I think you bring up a fair point in that it could be the coaching's fault. I think Mason Plumlee is a thirty-first center in that thirty-first best center in the NBA. What do I mean by that? He's pretty much too good to be a backup but he's not good enough to be a starter. So you're kind of left in this weird range where it's like, Oh, Mason Plumlee can start for us. We can't really start for you. You know, like you really don't want Mason Plumlee starting, but if that's your like best option, it's not like the worst option to have starting. It's not like starting, you know, Alex Len, right. It's not starting that guy, but the Hornets problem is, is that Mason Plumlee <laughs> is their best center. So you're I, what you said, is exactly what I've been thinking all week. And I'm kind of jealous you said it and not me is that this team has like a great, again, bunch of good individual defenders. But when you don't have the linchpin center, it's kind of hard to, you know, have a good defense. And what have we been talking about for the last two seasons with this team? They need a rim protector. We've been saying that it kind of feels like a broken record at this point, but or beating a dead horse, whichever you prefer, like whichever metaphor you prefer, but I think that (laughs) the reason they're cliches is because it's true. Like (laughs) this team does need a rim protector bad. They, their numbers at the rim on cleaning the glass are a lot better than I anticipated, but they're still not good. And they get killed from the short mid range. They get killed. I mean, sometimes the effort is a little lackadaisical. I do like the fact that his whole time there, Borrego's tried to mix in zones to help, you know, augment the lack of rim protection. But even like 
at that point, you're like NBA teams know how to break zones, right? These are the top of the top guys. Breaking a zone is pretty straightforward. <laughs> so, of course, you're going to give up open shots like when you're playing a zone. I don't think there's much they can do outside of adding an elite rim protector. And obviously, Dylan, every team that we say need a, a rim protector, we promptly follow up by saying they need Miles Turner. <laughs> Which this team could use Miles Turner. There's no doubt about that. However, I have a guy who's kind of floundering in New York right now. Who I think would be a really good fit for this Hornets team. And I think Mitchell Robinson would be a good fit, would be a good guy for them to go after. He's pretty cheap. You're going to probably have to sign into like a little bit of an extension, but he might just get Daniel Gafford money. And Daniel Gafford money is pretty good money for a starting center. Dylan, I think that Mitch Rob might be worth it for the Hornets. I love Mitchell Robinson, man. And the last time we talked about the Knicks, I believe I highlighted him because this is one of the few guys, and this sounds crazy because Mitchell Robinson is not like some all-star, but he's one of the few guys in the league that can completely control a a possession on defense and then also completely – like he can finish an offensive possession on the other end. And does he do it consistently? No. And that's why he's not an all-star, but he does do it on occasion. And I think the Hornets would be a great place for him because they don't need Joel Embiid in Charlotte. They need someone that's complimentary to everyone else there. They need someone that can catch lobs and block shots and maybe make a few good passes. I think Mitchell Robinson can very easily do that for you. And this Knicks team is just kind of odd. Like they have Nerlens Noel who, I don't know, is he better than Mitch Rob? Like, it seems like he goes back and forth every month. Like, which one of them is better? And Tibbs doesn't really know either, I don't think. And they have Randall. Like, there's – they have, I'm not going to say they have an embarrassment of riches. They are uh, not a very good team. But they could easily, you know, dump – not to say dump like a bad thing, but – they can get off of Rob, Mitch Rob before having to give him money and you know try to allocate that elsewhere. And at the same time, really help the Hornets because, listen, as much as we want to dunk on Plumlee here, the backup center is Nick Richards. Like, they have put themselves into a position where they have literally no option but to play, as you said, the 31st best center in basketball. And I, I don't quite understand why they did it this way because we saw this problem last year. Coming into the to the offseason, who were we talking about them getting? Rishon Holmes, you know, even I think Aaron Baines may have been thrown out there. Like just somebody that's better than what they had. And Aaron Baines wouldn't have worked out at all. But, you know, like you, the point is you don't need, again, you don't need Joel Embiid. You don't even need Miles Turner, I don't think. You need Rashawn Holmes or Mitch Robb or someone like that that can just have a little bit of a better impact on defense than they have right now because they have the offense. They are fine on offense. They don't need to worry about offense at all. Plumlee's a more offensive center. He's a good offensive center. Like, there's a reason he's been in the league this long. But they don't need help on defense or on offense. They need help on defense. So... Someone like Robinson would be a a really nice fit. But even if it's not him, like just get someone that's maybe a little bit undervalued with some other team. I even think Jackson Hayes would be a decent, even though I think Jackson Hayes probably sucks. Like he at least has some tools. 
that you could work with, and he gets horribly underutilized in New Orleans. So someone like that, like just go, you know, kind of a second draft type of player that's cheap. Like it wouldn't cost you much. You may not even have to give up like much capital at all. Just do something because they have a chance to like make a decent run in the playoffs or like at least scare some teams. But right now, if Giannis plays this team, that's a sweep. <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like every team that's, you know, ahead of them in the standings would kill them in a first round series. Like the Bulls, you know, Zach and DeMar get to the rim at will. I mean, obviously that's not their games entirely, but they're not going to stop either of them. They're not going to stop the, like, oh God, they'd get crushed if they played the Cavs. The Cavs would be salivating if they got the two and Charlotte was at seven. Oh my God. <laughs> they'd be like, yes, we are guaranteed to get to the second round because they don't have any size to contend with, you know, like Brooklyn might not be a bad matchup for the Hornets, but the Hornets don't have any stoppers. Like how did the Bucks beat the Nets last year? They had enough stoppers and they had a ton of size. So I don't know. Like it's a tough it's tough for me to see a way for this team to win a playoff series when they have, like, I'd say they have a talented enough team to do so. Like their top five guys this year in Hayward, Rozier, and this isn't in order, but Hayward, Rozier, LaMelo, Miles Bridges, and Oubre, those guys have all been great this year. Oubre's bounced back big time. Like he's been a little inconsistent, but after that stint last year in Golden State, Oubre's, you know, showing why he's an NBA player, like a good NBA player. And why he wasn't a bad like guy for the Warriors to take a bet on. He just didn't fit their system. Like they have a lot of good players. They just, again, they can't get a fucking stop. <laughs> and at the end of the day, getting a stop is just as important as getting, you know, a basket. And Ish Smith isn't going to get a stop for you. Book Knight is real thin. There's no way that dude is going to get a stop for you. They gave up like 115 to the Clippers. The Clippers are a bottom six offense right now. <laughs> One of the six worst offenses in basketball without Paul George. And they gave up 115 points. That's not what I want from my defense. I, I just feel like in general, like <laughs> I need a little more from my defense. And I think rim protectors. Because I think they can make the playoffs. I really think they can't avoid the play-in. I think they're good enough, and the Nets are slipping. The Bulls are slipping. The Bulls are still at first, but the Bulls have had a pretty, like, rocky... I mean, since December 15th, when all the COVID stuff started, they've really kind of gone downhill fast, <laughs> like, compared to where, what they were. The Bucks aren't anything, like, in the regular season, haven't been what they their expectations are. The Cavs keep getting hurt left, left and right, and eventually they're going to fall off. So you have a lot of like volatility in that top six in the East, not to mention Simmons <laughs> in Philadelphia. So you have a lot of volatility in that top six. And I think you can make it. They just need to be like, okay, we're serious about this. We are getting a rim protector and Nurkic could be had. I think Nurkic wouldn't be a bad guy for them to get. Nurkic is playing out of his mind this year. <laughs> they just need somebody, right? They need a body and Nurkic and Plumley would be a lot better rotation than like you said, Plumley and Nick Richards. I, I don't want to be a Caleb Lynn here, you know, shout out to Caleb Lynn. He hates Nick Richards. I don't hate Nick Richards, but he's probably should just be in, in the G league, right? That's probably where he belongs. And I think that if you get a guy like Nurkic, if you get a guy like Holmes, if you get a guy like Mo Bamba, right? Mo Bamba would be a good guy for them to take a shot on. Mo Bamba's playing pretty well in Orlando right now. So, there's a lot of different ways they can go, and I'll be curious to see which way they go. 
Yeah, Mo Bamba is another good second draft name. I mean, these are the type of guys they should be looking at. And and I selfishly hope Mo Bamba works out. I just I always like Mo Bamba. He has a really interesting skill set. He's just also a really like interesting guy. Like, I don't know if you've seen many interviews with him, but he's a really, really smart guy. Like he's one of those guys, kind of like Jonathan Taylor, where they're like way too smart to be athletes almost. It's, and he's he's an interesting guy, and I, I would like to see you know him have a good career because he was interesting because he was kind of – I'm not going to say the first, but he was one of the first centers that was very clearly adapting to the new league. Like he was in college around the time when the Warriors were dominating, and centers all of a sudden – couldn't be just, I mean, not to say they can't be just rim and, you know, uh, rim protection and roll guys. Like you can still do that. And that's kind of what we're advocating for Charlotte to get here. But he was one of those guys. that's like, Hey, I'm going to step out a little bit, try to shoot some threes, have a more well-rounded game. And it's nice to see him, you know, playing better uh, with Orlando. And it would be interesting to see a guy like that there, but they've just got to do something. And it's funny. We always focus on, on like offensive and defensive ratings, but I sometimes do like to look at just pure points, like points scored and points uh, given up and Charlotte in points scored based on ESPN. They have the most points per game out of any team in the league. And yet they are the only team in the East playoff race that has a negative net rating or differential in points because their defense sucks. I mean, their defense, they give up 114.6 points per game, which there's basically no teams outside of Brooklyn and Atlanta in the East playoff race that are giving up over 109 a game. And out West, eh, there's some bad teams out West too, but like that's very clearly the problem. Like there's really no other way around it. Again, the offense is so freaking good, but what's the point if you're giving up so many points, like you're just having to constantly like, look at the games this week. We just talked about Boston was a close game. Los Angeles was a close game. Uh, or I should say Los Angeles Lakers. Like those were games that like you're having to constantly fight. Because you, you can't stop these teams. You have to constantly score points. Um, but then you take the Clippers game, they only score nine, 90 points. And, again, Hayward being out hurts that. But this is why we always say defense wins championships. You're going to have nights where you score 90 points. You're going to have one of your guys hurt or something is just, you know, the, the, your best player is not going to be on. You need to have a defense that can stop, stop the other team because – Again, there's going to be games your offense isn't clicking. You can rely on a good, solid defensive system and good, solid defensive players to keep you in games when you're shooting 41% as a team. But this team, if they can't score, they're going to lose. There's just no way around it. And that, when you're talking about a playoff team, that's a problem you've got to fix or you're going to get ousted in the first round pretty easily. Yeah, I mean... So right now, the way the standings shake out, they'd be playing Toronto in the first game. And then if they lose either Boston or Atlanta 
in the second playing game. And just based on who we think is a better team, the odds are that'll probably be Atlanta <laughs> in that second play in game. And I don't like Charlotte's chances against Atlanta. Trey will dice them up. Like we saw what Trey did to the Sixers. <laughs> Imagine what he'd do to the Hornets. He'd probably average, not average, since it'd be a one game, but he'd probably score like 45 points and have like 15 assists. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And I, I do feel like their defense is going to be the toughest thing, but let's appreciate some of their guys. Cause I don't feel like we're in that like stretch of teams where the health and safety protocol started to hit last time. So LaMelo, we really loved LaMelo last year. I think we both agreed he was rookie of the year last year. Actually, I don't remember. Did you have LaMelo or Edwards last year? Mm, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure you had LaMelo, but I think I did. Yeah. What have you seen from LaMelo that's been different in year two? Or have you seen anything that's been different in year two for LaMelo? I, there's some games where I am a little bit annoyed by him. Like in the Lakers game, I think the two games that I watched this week, the Lakers and the Celtics game, kind of offered you the, the LaMelo ball experience. Where there's some games where the shot selection is just not good he makes a lot of kind of wild plays that's just his game and I'm not saying it's a bad thing because on the flip side the Celtics game he made a lot of wild plays and he had 38 points you know like there's a balance to it and I would say the balance most of the time ends up yielding positive results but there are games where they kind of have to maybe rely on someone else to make plays at the end of the game. And the good news is they have guys that can do that. I mean, Ish Smith, 10 of 12 in the Lakers game. Are you kidding me? Obviously that was an outlier game, but like miles bridges is just so good. I mean, and he like, I want to look at his game log to see if this is true or not, but I just feel like he's really maybe their most consistent player on offense. I think the, the numbers kind of say that too. And like he, he never really has bad shooting nights. He does obviously have some like the last two games. He hasn't been great, but like the Lakers game, 60% Pacers, 80%, 60, 61, 50. Like he, he's really consistent. So like having that stability, kind of offers another balance to LaMelo where you have the craziness with LaMelo, but then you have Bridges who just gets to the rim whenever he wants and can hit some threes and make other good plays. So that balance is there. And then Terry Rozier who hit a really like, I don't know if you remember the three I'm talking about, but he hit a three at the end of that Celtics game. And obviously they lost, but just the play that created that, shot where he was just got wide open at the top of the key and he just stuck it when they really needed it. Like Terry Rozier is a guy that can do that. And, you know, I know you asked me about LaMelo, but like those three guys I think are so tied together because they really balance each other out so well on both ends. Obviously, as we just talked about defense, still some lacking there, but on offense, they, they all three fit so well together and they balance each other out where if LaMelo is having a game where he could score 38, they're going to give him the ball. They're going to try to hit shots when he passes it. But there's games where Miles Bridges may go for 30 plus and they, you know, they feed him. And then Terry Rozier, 
uh, has kind of become more of the off ball, like creator type of guy, which I think it, it works really well for him. And, you know, those three just fit so well together. And that's why I love this team and I want them to get a center to fill these holes. Cause I really think that core right there is so good. And it kind of all starts with LaMelo. It does. I mean, Hayward is an integral part of it. I think they're top four, right? I think you said the top three. I think Hayward is just as important, if not more. They're 26 and 19 when he plays this year. That's good. That's like a 48 win pace, which I mean, (laughs) that means they're what, like two and five without him? He hasn't missed a whole lot of games because I was helped in safety protocols. But still, I think that he's just really important for the team and they need him in the lineup badly. And because he just kind of brings this balance, right? Like he's the veteran who calms things. He's the calm in the storm, right? I would say that's what Hayward does really well for this team. And they like, otherwise they're just really young and undisciplined, but on offense, I think he gives them like a nice little element because he does a lot of his damage off ball too. The thing is, like, he can catch it and score on, like, a mid-range fadeaway. It feels like that mid-range fadeaway is kind of, like, his go-to move now, and it's killer. It feels like he scores every time. So, I think Hayward's really important. I wish we could have seen the Hornets on a week where he wasn't in health and safety protocols. But, like, you're right. All four of those guys are tied so intricately together to the key to their success. I think if they just add, like, a like we've been saying... Like what a lot of this segment has been just a, like a regular five because PJ Washington isn't cutting it. Like <laughs> I have the, the lineups page pulled up on cleaning the glass, the lineup with LaMelo, Rozier, Hayward, Bridges, and Washington is minus 16.6 in 179 possessions. And they give up 123 points per hundred possessions. <laughs> that's, um, that's what we describe in the business is not great. <laughs> they just, they can't get stops with that group. And honestly, Dylan, here's a crazy idea. Would you try Bridges as a small ball five? He's got a six, nine wingspan. I mean, it's not great, but he's really stocky. You switch everything. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. It's not. I. It's definitely better than PJ Washington, the five. Uh, PJ Washington is one of the... I I think it's fair to say it's a draft miss. Not to say he sucks. He doesn't suck. But he is underwhelming for what I think we thought he could be. Like, I personally saw him as more of like a modern-day David West. And I think a lot of other people that watched him at Kentucky would say something like that too. And he has just not been nearly as good on defense as we kind of needed him to be for him to become that. And I mean, he's, he's had, you know, some decent offensive success, but they need him to be good on defense and he's just not. And Bridges, like, I don't know. I'm going to look how big PJ Washington is, but I feel like Bridges may be like the same size or even bigger. He's definitely stronger. That's for sure. So Washington's like six, seven, six, eight. According to ESPN, they're the same height, and TJ Washington has five pounds on him. <laughs> Which but, can't be right. Yeah. The, Bridges looks way bigger. Like, PJ Washington kind of looks 
he doesn't look small or skinny or anything, but like he's not, he doesn't look jacked. I'll just say that. And Peter and, and Bridges kind of looks jacked a little bit, you know? So maybe that's the windmill dunks that are, that are confusing me. But I mean, I, I think it'd be worth a shot. I can't imagine it working for super long periods of time, but in certain circumstances, like if you're playing a team like the Nets, I think that would be a really, or the the Warriors or someone like that, that would be a really good thing to try because you're good on offense. If you're getting all good offensive scores out there and creators, like if you want to throw Ubre in there or something as well, like you have a nice mix of guys, but it, they've got to do something. Like they've got to start getting creative because again, they're just giving up way too many points. So thankfully, cleaning the glass, our friends who I've utilized a lot in this segment, 660 possessions for Miles Bridges at center this year for the Hornets, which is a lot more than I honestly would have thought. Um, plus 4.8. And the reason they're plus 4.8 is because they're blistering on offense. 123.3 points per 100 as opposed to 118.5 points per 100 on defense. Um that's about what you'd expect, but hey, not a whole lot of teams can gun with uh, you know, Lamelo, Rozier, you know, Ubre, Hayward, and Bridges lineup. Like, just not a lot of teams have that kind of offensive firepower. So I think that'd be something to see if they roll out more and just go shot for shot, which they probably can, right? Or they have Jalen McDaniels. I almost said Jaden McDaniels. They have Jalen McDaniels, who we also didn't see this week, who we both love. <laughs> And, you know, you have him, maybe play him as a small ball five. They have a lot of ways they can go. But let's end Hornets by asking this. Like, is there any ch- Like, they keep the roster exactly the same. Next week passes. Trade deadline's a week away from today, by the way. We, you know, no trades have actually happened. But other than, you know, the Rondo trade. <laughs> but in the Reddish trade, of course. Barring no trades and the Charlotte Hornets roster looks exactly the same at 301 on February 10th as it did at 259. Can the Hornets win? Can they win the play in or can they win a playoff game? That's my question to you. Man. I think, gosh, that's tough. They had like I'm thinking back to last year where they just got killed by the Pacers. I'm like I feel like nothing I don't I don't want to say nothing has changed, but roster wise, they've gotten worse roster wise. Like they lost Devontae Graham. You know, like they didn't really replace him because Book Knight has not been good. The players they have have gotten better, but I don't know. I, I feel like like, they would have to win the first game. I feel like if they didn't win the first play-in game, they would lose the second one. But if I had to put money on it, I'd probably say they get ousted and they don't make it because obviously Atlanta doesn't count here. But Toronto and Boston, I mean, Boston's defense this year has, you know, not been super – um, Boston-like, I guess, for past years. But I still trust Toronto and Boston's defense more. And in a, in a setting like that, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to pick the teams that are better on defense, I think. I mean, pretty much every team in the East. <laughs> so just looking at the defensive standings, Charlotte is 23rd. And then the teams after them are Detroit, Indiana, Orlando, Atlanta. So there's one team in the East play-in running that's worse than them on defense, but they're also the Hawks the last two weeks are third in defensive rating. Coincidentally, that is when they tighten their rotation. They've you know got DeAndre Hunter and Okongwu back, which by the way, I know you're going to miss watching Okongwu, you know, when we get to Hawks week, but that's it's neither here nor there. Like, so the second worst defense in the whole play in playoff field, I think that they're there. There's no way like they win a playoff game. If the roster is exactly the same, if they make a defensive improvement, I can see it. But just like if the roster looks exactly the same after the deadline, I, I just don't see a way because their defense sucks. And like you can maybe win a game or two, but season on the line, you need to get stops, right? Why did the Grizzlies beat the Warriors last year in the playing game? Because their defense was amazing, right? That's why they won the first playing game against the Spurs. They could have lost that too, but they locked down all the main Spurs guys. They locked down DeMar. They locked down. I don't remember who else they locked down, but the Spurs scored 96 points off the backs of like Rudy Gay and Patty Mills, right? The Grizzlies had really good defense, (laughs) you know? I'm trying to think. The Wizards, uh, the Wizards weren't a real basketball team last year. You can't convince me that. Um, The Celtics, you know, (laughs) shut down the Wizards in the first playing game. So I think in the one game scenario, obviously anything can happen, but give me the team with a better defense every time. Um, A team that did not have, I guess they had a few one game scenarios in last year's playoffs. The defending champion are Milwaukee Bucks, the power hours, Milwaukee Bucks, even though in the regular season, they're not our Milwaukee Bucks. They are 32 and 21, good for fourth in the Eastern Conference. Um, in the last week, they lost to Cleveland 115 to 99. They beat the Knicks 123 to 108. They got shellacked by the Nuggets 136 to 100. And then they beat the Wizards 112 to 98. Um, I don't feel like we're going to have a lot to say about this team. Like Giannis is great. Middleton's great. Middleton was just named an all-star. Drew Holiday's great. I will say, I feel like this team is small. I say that's my biggest takeaway. Like they play the passing lanes really well. Like they, they're a really smart basketball team. Dylan, I can't just help get this like overwhelming feeling like this team will get overpowered by a bigger team, like the Miami heat in the playoffs. Like, am I, am I wrong for feeling that? I wouldn't say so because, you know, not having Brooke Lopez exacerbates that problem. Is Listen, we love Bobby Portis, but he is a small ball center at best. If he is having to start for you, he should be a power forward. And outside of that, it's just the guy with the really long name that we never refer to by his actual name because it's not worth our time. But... We we saw this man in person, and boy, that that's one of those names where you get all of the jersey filled up with letters. So he, to us, is just a man with a very long name. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to act like I've been too impressed by him. And uh, and even he's kind of small, I think, for what they're looking for. So I I don't know how concerned I actually am about it. Because, like, we talked about this all last year. They were better when Giannis was playing the five. I do want to say, though, 
that Brooke Lopez was very important in that run. And I think he got overlooked because of how good Giannis was. But he, and also because he wasn't hitting as many shots as he had in years prior. His defense was awesome, though. Brooke Lopez was, he, his rim protection was amazing. He even was like making some challenges on the perimeter. Like he was just a very useful defensive tool for them. And while they didn't really need him as much on offense, even though he did have some good games on offense as well, his defense kind of carried them through. And he was almost their unsung hero uh, in that run where they needed help at times. Like, you know, that Atlanta series, the Nets, like they needed some help and obviously Phoenix. So the health of him definitely is impacting them right now. And if it, I don't know, you probably know how long he's going to be out. I don't know. I never keep track of timelines anymore, but like they, they need, they, I definitely agree that having basically just Bobby Portis as your only pure center, if you even want to call him that he's not really a pure center, but if you're having to play Giannis at the five during the regular season, that's an issue. Yeah, like you want to keep that like as a break glass in case of emergency kind of thing, not, you know, let's feature this in the regular season. I do think Giannis at the five in the playoffs is going to be a matchup buster for a lot of teams. That being said, you know, I <laughs> the problem is when you surround Giannis with four, when Middleton's the next biggest player after Giannis, that's the problem. And Drew, obviously we've seen Drew's defense can't be denied. Like it hasn't been able to be denied since like 2015. But the fact that there hasn't been any drop off is ridiculous. (laughs) He's 31 and still the best point guard defender in the league. Um, DiVincenzo has been interesting since he's came back. He's not really shooting well, but they're kind of using him. I feel like they're using him in the um, Bruce Brown role a little bit where he's kind of playing the dunker spot really well. And he's distributing pretty well from there. I mean, 1.7 assists for DiVincenzo in 20 minutes a game, you know, not a whole lot. Like per 36, that's three assists, but he's barely touching the ball. (laughs) So I'd say that's pretty good. Um, You know, Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton are both playing great this year. And I think it's kind of funny. No, they didn't play in 2015 um, tournament, but I think it's kind of funny that two of the stars of the 2015 tournament are killing it (laughs) for the Bucs. Obviously, Grayson Allen had the whole incident with Alex Caruso a couple of weeks ago. We don't need to relitigate that because Caleb and I did a pretty deep dive into that incident. Um, But yeah, that was a bad play, but he's playing great this year. Like you can't say he's not. He's filling that role perfectly and he's on a steal of a contract. I think they need to trade DiVincenzo. I think he's their chip to get something good. And they just I feel like they need another forward. Right. Wes Matthews is playing the PJ Tucker role from last year. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Wes Matthews. I consider myself to be one of the biggest Wes Matthew fans, you know, around. I don't think he's the solution at the four. <laughs> I, I, I think that might be a controversial take, but I, I just don't think Wes Matthews is going to get it done for you playing the four position. <sighs> Uh, yeah, I think that's that's an extremely controversial take, but I'm shockingly going to go ahead and join your side on that one. I mean, yeah, like they lost P.J. Tucker and then they just kind of did nothing to replace him. And I think, you know, probably money played a factor in that because they had to extend Bobby Portis. The Grayson Allen trade happened. It was they kind of had to pick and choose their battles. 
And I mean, hey, they got semi ojale Like we've seen that one work out before. And, you know, they tried the Nassus and early in the season, I don't know. I don't think he was he was terrible. Like he was kind of a decent uh low post cleanup guy at times on offense and on defense. Obviously he's an athletic guy, but it's he's out of the rotation, Rodney Hood who we, I think both of us thought was actually a pretty nice addition. And he's, I don't know, kind of fallen out of favor. Jordan Nora, who would have been a terrible four two, uh, or as well, I should say not two. And he's like kind of fallen out. So it's, I think it's definitely really the takeaway that people should have from this is that they just need size. They need a forward. They need a center. They need something to beef up a little bit. Because they're great at guard. I mean, they are great at guard. And they are also great at having Giannis. That is one thing that they're probably the best out of everyone is having Giannis. But outside of that, and obviously Chris Middleton. But yeah, the the depth with basically any big position, it's pretty thin. It's pretty thin. And again, having Brooke Lopez at, out definitely hurts that. But having a good backup four a la P.J. Tucker type of role, you don't need that guy to do that much. P.J. Tucker, as you kind of talked about last year, he was kind of brought in to, to give Kevin Durant some problems, and that was about it. He didn't do a ton outside of that. So you don't need a super, like, it's not a very demanding role. And DiVincenzo is a nice player. Like, we really liked him last year before he got hurt. He is just kind of like a Swiss Army knife like, he's a good defender. He's a good shooter, good passer. He kind of does a little bit of it all. And, like, there's a there's got to be a lot of teams out there uh, that should want to take a shot on that guy. I mean, I keep looking at the Pacers, obviously, of of swapping either Torrey Craig or, or and or, I should say, Justin Holiday for, like, a young guard or just a young prospect in general. And, man... Tory Craig, who, yeah, like, I know he tried with the Bucks. It didn't really work out. But that guy would be good there. Justin Holiday would be good on any team. So, like, that that kind of move. And Justin Holiday, by the way, is also a guy that shouldn't play the four, but actually does a good job at it. So, you know, there, there's got to be a lot of options out there that, that DiVincenzo could help them pull off. I mean, even if you just want to play the buyout market, Paul Millsap – is going to be available. He's played for Bud. Like, I know he's not been great the last couple of years, but something is better than nothing, <laughs> you know? And just having that option. And plus Millsap, I think, you know, even if there's not a lot left in the tank, there's something left in there. So I think that's a guy they should try and pursue. And I think that, you know, I th- I don't think they're going to trade Brooke Lopez. And I, th- I think it would be kind of dumb to, you know, I think he's too big of an X factor. But if Thad gets bought out, Mm. I think Milwaukee would be the perfect place for him because he would come in and he'd start right away. I don't really like as the team is currently constructed, he'd be either, you know, slash small ball five slash mobile like or their four. But I think he would be a great fit there. They there's a lot of options for them to go out and pursue, you know, like I'm sure the magic has some guys. I mean, Utah's I don't even think Dante would need be needed to get Kenrich Williams. Like there's a lot of guys but the Bucks don't have a lot of first round picks and, you know, Sam Presti loves nothing more than first round picks. Um, here's a guy 
and this would require trading Brooke Lopez. Would you do Robin or Robin Lopez? Would you do Brooke Lopez for Robert Covington? You know, I thought about that. I didn't think about trading Brooke Lopez for him, but I was thinking about guys that they could trade for. I did think about Covington. <sighs> that's that's tough. I feel like you would probably need Brooke Lopez more than Covington in like a playoff setting. Because as I mentioned, like Brooke Lopez, there's going to be games where he's crucial at protecting the rim. And Robert Covington is probably the best forward that can play center in the league besides maybe Draymond's. Like Covington has played a lot of five in his career and maybe he shouldn't have played that much five, but he makes it work. But at the same time, I feel like the teams that try to get too cute with that sort of thing always end up losing. It's like, it works for the Warriors because Draymond is such an amazing defender and also has two of the best shooters in the world (laughs) next to him. But basically every other team is going to operate different. And I think a lot of the teams that have tried to win playing small, just, it just hasn't worked out. Like, the Suns last year, even DeAndre Ayton wasn't enough to beat the Bucks. I feel like giving up that size advantage would be a bad idea. Because, like, think about this. If the Bucks have to beat Joel Embiid to get into the playoffs, you're, you're, I think you're much rather going to want to have Brooke Lopez and Giannis try to stop him than just Giannis and Covington. Here's an idea, and this involves so this. I was messing around on fan spell while you were talking, and all your points are well taken. George Hill, Rodney Hood, Dante DiVincenzo for Covington. You have Covington and Lopez now, and you can play a supersized lineup. I we both agree. I don't think there's been any dispute about it. I think everyone's been saying this about Covington for a while. He's not a one on one defender. He's a team defender, which, you know, against KD isn't going to help very much. But he's a body, right? He's a big body, which is more, like, I, I just feel like there's a lot of ways they can go. And that trade works, by the way, just so you know, um, like salary wise. I don't know if the Bucks can trade that first round pick due to the Stepien rule, but you can always do like a little wink, wink, send a pick to Portland day of the draft. <laughs> oh, wow. Portland got a first round pick for Milwaukee for two second round picks. Who could have saw that coming? <laughs> But I like, (laughs) I think they just need more guys, right? And there's a lot of avenues for them to get those guys. But I I don't, it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in for the rest of the season. Let's talk about Giannis real quick because Giannis, I just want to talk about some of the passes he's been throwing. Six assists a game. Dylan, am I crazy for saying Giannis? is I'm not going to say elite, but about as close as you can get to being elite without actually being elite. Am I crazy for saying he's that good at passing now? I don't think so. I think part of it is that he's become so much better to everything else too. I mean, watching some of these games is just hilarious. I'm trying to remember. So I watched the Washington game and then the New York game. And... Really, both of these teams, I think, tried to play him the same. And shockingly, they failed miserably. But 
Like you just have to get as much around him as possible. And there's always a guy open. There's always someone open. And it's not like they're making these passing angles that hard for Giannis. Like he just is destructive and he's become even more unstoppable at getting to the rim, which just makes his passing even easier. Like if you have to sell out so hard to just try to stop him, there's going to be stuff open. And of course, at the same time, I think his vision is definitely improved and just his execution has improved as well. And, you know, having better teammates obviously makes that look a lot better. Like we were talking about Grayson Allen. I think Grayson Allen, he's got to be one of the better off ball movers in the league. That's like actually good at executing and making shots. Having someone like that alongside Middleton and holiday, it, it makes, it just makes everything flow a little bit easier. And I think that makes passing a lot easier and having guys like that to pass to, I think it's, it's just all kind of accumulated into Giannis all of a sudden being, like you said, maybe not elite passer, but as close to it as you can get. Yeah. Giannis, just the way his passing has gotten better through his whole, like he's always been a decent passer, but it feels like it's gotten even better the last couple of years. And he's, I mean, he's basically a perfect player at this point. And the jump shooting is still a little bit of a flaw, but he's making 38% of his mid-range shots, which is more than he was making a couple of years ago. And I just, I feel like he's unstoppable at this point. I, I really want to see what he does in the playoffs. Cause the team is flawed, but it might not matter because they have that guy, you know, and those teams are always the most dangerous because they have huge gaping holes like LeBron's teams, right? A lot, a lot of the teams that LeBron had huge gaping holes, but didn't matter because they had LeBron, right? Giannis might just be the next that guy because we haven't had a guy like that. Like the Warriors won in 2015, but the Warriors, you know, were massively hurt. And then the next year, or the Cavs are massively hurt in 2015. The next year, the Cavs are healthy. They win and a lot of stuff, like a lot of the Warriors holes were exposed. So I think Giannis just might be that guy where if his team is relatively healthy, there's no way you're going to beat him. (laughs) I think that might be the only way you can beat him is just if his team is down, you know, really bad. And I like Middleton and holiday both played in the Olympics, but they both have had a good amount of time off this year. So I think like, obviously fourth is not where they want to be, but they're not very far out of first place right now. They're only what, like a two or three games out of first right now. <laughs> if that the bulls just lost. So I think they're right now, they'd be two games out of first. So they don't have that much ground to make up. And I think that, if they can, they need home court, right? We saw that last year, but Dylan, I think it's safe to say we'll reserve. I, I still have them as my favorites, my title favorites, but I'm going to reserve judgment until the trade deadline. Is that fair? Would you say? Yeah. I mean, that that's how I feel as well. I was watching them yesterday and I'm like, and I said this the first time around too, when we talked about them, And I noticed this at the game we went to, like seeing Giannis in person is a whole different perspective. And some of the plays he makes, he's made this year. I feel like he didn't make last year. I feel like winning the finals gave him the confidence to take another step. Like there's some, some of these blow buys that he has 
it's like jaw dropping. Like you see it in person. It's amazing because you're seeing how much ground he's covering in such a short amount of time. But even on TV, like the Knicks game I was watching, the Knicks, as we talked about earlier, they have some size. Like they have guys that can challenge, you know, big players. Giannis is seven foot with massive wingspan and he's quick as hell. He's light on his feet. He, when he gets ahead of steam, dude, he is impossible to stop. It's, it's just amazing watching him move at, at that fast of pace and just get around guys like it's nothing. I just, I don't know how, like there's no player in the league that can stop that. There's just no player. And when you get to a level like that, because we're not so far removed from Boston shutting him down in the playoffs a few years ago. Like we're not that far removed from that. He has just continued to improve and improve and improve. And now he's at a point where it's just, it's you, it's like LeBron, where it's like you just watch the guy and you just laugh because it just doesn't make sense that a person can do this. And when you have that player on your team, I think it's very fair to say they're the finals favorites, or at least for the East. That's fair to say. It's a good note to close it on. And let's go ahead and move on to the Raptors. Um, I'm not counting their win over the Bulls tonight before that because that just happened a couple of minutes ago. Um, there were 26 and 23. Now they're 27 and 23. I'm not calculating. I'm pretty sure they're still eighth in the East. Um, the last week has been pretty, they've played a lot of games. They needed to make up a lot of games after postponing a lot of them. They had a couple of games against the Bulls. Then they needed to postpone a few of them themselves. So they lost the Bulls 105 to 111 last Wednesday. They beat the Miami Heat 124 to 120 in triple overtime, <laughs> which 124 to 120 happens a lot in regulation. The fact that that happened, that was a triple overtime score is hilarious. Um, they beat the Hawks 1 to 100. They beat the Heat 110 to 16. And then tonight they beat the Bulls 127 to 120. We're not definitely not talking about that game. But Dylan, this Raptors team is a resilient group, man. <laughs> like this team is playing like seven guys at most. That that triple overtime game, their starters played just they played 56, 56, 56, 55, 39, 53, 31. Those are the minutes played for their starters in the triple overtime game. And they didn't get tired. They didn't tire out. And they played a game like a Sunday after like a day after the triple overtime game. And then they played a back to back the night after that. Dylan, this team is playing so many games, but it's not mattering. This team, what the hell is going on? This defies logic and science. Yeah, and it's amazing because not only are they having to play so many games, but they just have a thin roster. Like, their bench is just not very helpful. Like, in this in this Miami game, they get 12 minutes out of Boucher, 16 out of Achua, 9 minutes from Banton, and that was it. It was the starters the rest of the way. And it's not like that was the only game that's like that. I mean, a lot of these games, they're barely getting anyone out of the, off, uh, off the bench. And it's not like they have bad players off the bench either. Like Watanabe has had some good minutes. Obviously, Speed Mikhail Luke uh, has had some moments in the league. Uh, you know, Malachi Flynn is kind of up and down. But Nick Nurse is like, fuck it. We're, we're just sticking with the guys that we know are good. And I mean, they're very good and they're winning right now. I, I do have some concerns. Obviously, 
playing this amount is going to add up. And they're beating some very good teams. So, like, this this four-game win streak is all – I mean, two of them against Miami, the best team in the East. And Atlanta is not – there's no scrub in Chicago, uh, obviously. Or Chicago is the best team in the East now, aren't they? Yeah, those are the top two. So, they're getting the job done against good teams. But, obviously, I'm looking forward to the playoffs because that's just what I do. And – so this starting five, very good. Every player on this starting five we love, okay? Gary Trent, did, I, did he uh, keep his 30-point streak alive tonight? I will check while you're talking. Okay. So at least before tonight, I believe it was five games in a row with 30-plus points. I mean, just love the kid. I loved him in Portland. I was excited about that trade with Norm Powell because those are both players I love. So I was happy to to see that trade happen and see Toronto get someone good back. And he's definitely a building block. He's definitely a guy that, you know, he can guard the perimeter and he can also go knock down a bunch of shots on the other end. And having him next to Van Vliet, who Van Vliet, obviously I love, great defender, and he he's just, he's a chucker. You know, there's some games where it's going to really bother you. Like this Miami game, triple overtime, he was 7 of 22. And that that was better than what it was at one point. I think he was like 3 of 16 at some point. Like he he was struggling. And that's just kind of who he is. Like he, it, I'm not going to say he's like LaMelo because LaMelo is way better. But it was like earlier, like you get the balance with, with Van Vliet. And then Siakam who has taken – he's kind of taken the keys to their offense and he's distributed a lot more, which is good. My, my, like, ultimately, what I'm working towards here is – is there really a guy at the end of the game that you for sure want you want to take the shot? Like, they have guys that are capable. Like, I think all of these guys are capable – of making plays at the end of the game. But part of me thinks that actually is maybe a bad thing where, and maybe I'm just getting too cute with this, but I feel like it's such an even balance where it's almost like, it, like <sighs> I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. It, it sounds stupid to say that like having five good players is a, is a bad thing. But, like, I don't know. I feel like having someone that you know is going to get the shot at the end of the game is a good thing. And I don't know. Like, I feel like if this team gets to an end of the game, it's just maybe a little bit scrambled or something like that. I see where you're coming from. I think Fred is the guy. Like, I think they've all just decided, hey, Fred's the best player on this team, which I, you could argue he's not. Pascal's been really good this year. Like Pascal is like, if he could score, he's like a top five player in the NBA right now. Cause he does everything else so well. And I mean, not to say he can't score, but like if he could create his own shot, he'd be like a top five player in the NBA. But Fred, like at the, in that triple overtime game, he was just taking crazy shots and he was draining them. Right. Like he was, he likes to take the fuck you threes. Right. I think that's his specialty and he's really good at it. And Fred is a guy to me where you put the, like you could tell 
the Lowry influence rubbed off on Siakam and Van Vliet in particular. Like those two guys learned a lot from Kyle Lowry. And I think they're both better for it. And their IQs are through the roof <laughs> on both sides of the basketball. And I think that having like Fred's got a killer instinct. I'm not saying Kyle doesn't have a killer instinct, but Fred's kind of like, give me the ball. I want the ball at the end of the game. Kyle didn't have that as much. And plus, I I think the way their team is structured, if they need like a wing bucket, they can give it to OG, right? OG's not been particularly efficient this year, like 44, 35, you know, shooting splits. But I still trust him to pull up from mid-range. He's taking really tough shots and he's hitting a good amount of them. So I... I see where you're coming from for sure, but I think there's a hierarchy because Trent, Trent can, Trent's a bailout guy, right? I think that's like kind of his role in this offense. Like he's going to take the shots. He's making (laughs) 39% of his threes on eight attempts a game. All their spacing is coming from their two guards right now. But I think you have a really nice system where if you don't have anything going, you toss it to Trent, see if he can make it. If he can't, oh, well, but I, Fred, you know, can pull up from 30 and hit a good amount of them. And then OG can take you to the mid range and try to work you and get a bucket there. I think there's a lot of ways they can go. I would not throw the ball to Scotty Barnes in the last five minutes of a game. And Pascal's kind of like, like that really good distributor who plays for Golden State. I'm trying not to say his name. But I feel like that's kind of the role he takes on in this offense a little bit where he's except he's more willing to shoot than that guy is. Again, I'm I have a habit of saying his name, so I'm trying not to. You know who I'm talking about. The audience knows who I'm talking about. But on offense, that's kind of what he's doing is he's being the distributor and it's working really well for them. I liked some of the stuff they did. I watched a lot of because they I watched the Hornets game against the Raptors from last week just so I could have some Hornets to watch. Um like, I feel like Pascal does a good job in crunch time of, you know, dribbling the air out of the ball till Fred gets open and he can find Fred moving off the ball. I think they have a good dynamic like that. So I think this team has a lot of different ways they can attack you. And I think that's going to serve them well in the playing game. And I really like their chances of beating like a, a team like Charlotte. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. The first thing I think of when I see Pascal Siakam, I'm like, this guy's Juan Toscano Anderson. Like, I, he, I that's exactly what I think. So we're we're 100% on the same page there. But that was yeah, good. I mean, <laughs> it he he is a really good player to like fill this role because he gets he kind of gets to the paint so easily, and then a lot of opportunities open up from there like if fred is in the corner he can get him gary trent is on the wing or og hit him there and that's why when i was trying to explain my last point i was realizing it was probably stupid because having more guys that can create stuff at the end of the game is not a bad thing i think we just typically see like oh give kevin durant the ball give lebron the ball i think we just usually see that and this team doesn't have a guy like that but Van Vliet definitely has the killer instincts and he's not afraid to put up an idiotic shot and hope it goes in. I mean, that is a big part of his game. (laughs) So it's, he definitely is, is the guy to do that. Uh, Scotty Barnes, I agree is not. 
because that man will get a free throw jumper and he'll stare at the rim for like three seconds before deciding whether he should shoot it or not. Uh, and we love Scotty Barnes, but he's definitely a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger sometimes. So, yeah, I, I really do like how this how these guys mesh together. And I, I, I don't think there's a ton of weakness. I definitely think spacing is probably something that you would like to see more. But, hey, like, again, taking this heat game, for example, just for from Trent and Van Fleet, you got 29 three-point attempts just right there. So if you're going to get that, kind of volume I guess you don't need a ton more but my concerns definitely still come down to the bench I mean like Achua was a great grab in the in the Lowry deal but I just don't know like he's he definitely has some scoring chops down low but he just feels like a a knockoff Montrez Harrell to me that's like not def- – and when I say knockoff, I mean like he's definitely not – he's not as good of a rebounder. Like he doesn't do a ton else besides kind of try to get buckets. And then you've got Boucher who's just string cheese, like trying to put up a bunch of threes from the top of the key. And then outside of that, there's just not a ton going on, as I said earlier. So that's ultimately my concern. And in a playoff setting – like you don't need to have a super deep bench and it, you don't really want to have that. I mean, you definitely want some good relief, but like, it's okay if you play your five starters, a bunch of minutes in the playoffs or the play in game, but they definitely need to try to work the buyout market or something and like, just grab a couple guys uh, that, you know, get, get the, the Marco Bellinelli type of guy, you know, like just grab someone that, that's not really valued that much, but can come in and be a vet and make shots, get someone like that. And when I say that, I don't mean Goran Dragic, by the way, uh, just get someone that can create off the bench. Cause right now it's just very bleak. Well, that's the thing you brought up Goran Dragic. They have his salary and they have all their picks. So Goran Dragic in a first could get you like, Oh, I brought up in the pre-show Eric Gordon. I brought up, you know, you could get like Corey Joseph and someone from the Pistons, right? You could get a lot of different stuff for Warren Dragic, I feel. And I think that that's what they're going to do. They're going to add like a couple of rotation players because literally anyone would help. They need a backup guard. Like Pascal Siakam is legitimately been like, I feel like people say he plays one through five too much. Pascal's their five and their one at the same time. Like, the Raptors are doing positionless basketball. Like they're actually doing positionless basketball. I think we've been throwing that phrase around like pretty lightly the last couple of years. Pascal has been playing all five positions for them. And he's basically their backup point guard at this point, which is fine. He's been doing a really good job of that, but you need someone to actually bring the ball to the court. <laughs> you know, I'd like to see Siakam more in that Sabonis like kind of role where he's getting the ball at the elbow and he's allowed to create shots. And Siakam's shooting really good from the mid-range, too. That would be really good for their team if he just was allowed to operate like as a kind of like a mid-range elbow hub. I think if TJ McConnell was healthy, some kind of trade with the Pacers, although I think, I don't know if you have to be vaccinated to play in Canada or not, because I know Justin Holiday's not vaccinated, but something like that, right, where you get Torrey Craig or something. I don't know. There's like a lot of, I think there's a lot of different ways they can go. And I'll be like, 
the Raptors have always been a very heavily rumored Miles team, but if Miles is hurt still, I don't know if that makes much sense for them. Um, Sabonis definitely doesn't make sense for them. Just like throwing out guys, right? Because they have that Dragic is making 19 million. So you get you can get a couple guys. And I think that that's gonna be their way to improve. I don't think they're gonna get any buyout guys. Just I don't think that anyone's going like, you know who I want to join? The AC Toronto Raptors, who can currently only play in front of in front of five hundred people. Let's go play there. <laughs> I don't think that's where your free agents are clamoring to go, but I Dylan, I just have, I can't help but think that there's like a trade to be made with Dragic's salary that can't bring in like a couple of contributors right away. Well, first of all, I don't if Kim Birch being uh going to Toronto is not enough for you to think that free agents want to go there, then I don't know what you're what you're looking for here. But yeah, I mean it's it's a big salary and a lot of people have talked about it really ever since they got him <laughs> also in that Kyle Lowry deal. I mean, it's uh it's been a heavily talked about name, which is a little surprising because I'm not sure he's actually that useful anymore. It seems like a lot of teams for some reason want him and maybe that's out of pure desperation. But yeah, if you can attach him to a first, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities you could get one really good player like Aaron Gordon or your Eric Gordon, or you could try to get, you know, a couple players uh, do, do like what the Cavs did a few years ago where they traded a first for Clarkson and Nance, you know, something like that would be an interesting way to go as well. So they have options. I, I mean, they probably def like definitely won't actually get buyout guys now that you laid it out. I forgot about all the restrictions there and the fact that they're not like that good of a team. You know, if, if this was the Toronto of a few years ago, maybe some players would deal with it, but now it's like, whatever. Um, so it's going to be interesting. They're, they're one of the top teams I think to watch at the deadline as far as buyers go. Cause like, if they don't do anything, they're just giving up on the season. Like there's really no other way to say it. There's no way they're going to, I don't even think they get out of the play-in. I mean, maybe they would, but if they get out of the play-in, they're going to get swept. Like, they just don't have reinforcements off the bench at all. And plus, they're starting a rookie. He's a very good rookie, but he's a rookie. So, like, you need a little bit more than what they have. So, I would be surprised if they did make a move, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to watch them. Um you asked about Gary Trent's hot streak. It has come to a close. He only scored 16 points tonight, but still five games of 30 plus points breaks the um, all time Raptors record, <laughs> which wow. I, they've That's... had, <laughs> they had a lot of great scorers like Kawhi, Vince Carter. So shout out to Gary Trent. DeMar. Um, yeah, Damar. Exactly. So I think that the Gary Trent um, Toronto relationship is going to be a very fruitful one. And any parting Toronto thoughts before we close the power hour for this evening? I'm good, man. I mean, this, this remains our team, like no matter how many times they, they change rosters and there's still some leftovers, but they keep adding new players and they're, they're players that we love. So everything's working out how it should. Yeah. We have 
I think there's three players left on the championship team from this team, and that's Pascal, Freddie, and OG. Um, I mean, you wish, you know, Norm was still there. You wish Kyle was still there. You wish Jakob and DeLon Wright were still there. But, hey, the Raptors are the best developmental team in the NBA, so we'll. See, I'm sure we'll see, you know, Justin Champagne <laughs> dominating the league in, like, a couple of years. But um, that's everything for us. That is That wraps up our last Power Hour. Make sure you go check out. Um, Caleb was a little bit busy with uh, sectionals this week, so make sure you check out Shaddy Sanity with Zach Griffith and Devin Boss. Make sure you check out Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith and Bryce Shaddy. Um, I also should say Shaddy Sanity is hosted by Bryce Shaddy. I don't know if I said that. That's probably important information. Those are the other two shows going on in the running hook right now. Um, Dylan Hughes, for the last time in a little bit of time, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.